going everybody this is let me try that again hey how's it going everybody this is I, I just can't get excited I'm sorry I'm gonna do my best here uh, today is a uh, well it's episode 262 of X lapsed and uh, it's one of those like bittersweet days in reverse you know we finished uh, way of X not too long ago and I, I consider that a, a very uh, bittersweet day because I really like talking about that book but at the same time I was sad that it was ending you know here, well, it's the opposite. <laughs> um, this is a book I don't enjoy talking about, I don't enjoy reading, and uh, I am very happy that it's ending. So with my fingers crossed that uh, this does not get a volume two or a season two following Inferno, today we're going to discuss the last issue of X-Corp. And before we get into it, a little bit of real talk here. I didn't like this series. I mean, that's clear if you've been following this show. You know I've not enjoyed this. I didn't enjoy this issue, so... So here's just a little bit of a disclaimer before we get into the uh, meat and potatoes of this episode. If you did like this series, if you did like this issue, and it somehow offends you personally when someone else does not, maybe this is an episode you might want to skip. And, uh, you know, no hard feelings either way. We're all still friends here, but if that bothers you to a great deal, I don't want to put you through that. And also, if you did enjoy this series and this issue, I'm very happy for you, and I am uh, envious <laughs> that you did. And, I mean, you guys know me by now. Um, the opinion I hold the least stock in is my own. So if, uh, if we disagree on any book, this book maybe especially, I always assume that you're right and I'm wrong. So uh, with all that said, <laughs> let's get into this issue. This is X-Corp number five of five, November 2021 cover date. The story's called Closing Costs. Written by Teeny Howard, with art by Alberto Fochi. Colors, Sonny Go. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X for now is Hickman. Edits, Samaro White, Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale September 22nd of 2021. Now we open with uh, the Legion of Madroxes keeping watch over the captured Noblesse mercenaries. And I don't even remember them getting the better of them last time out. Uh, then again, this is X-Corp, so for all I know, this is completely new information, or we'll get the blow-by-blow -blow of the fight in a later info page, or maybe I just blocked it from my memory, which, I mean, that's not fair to anybody, is it? Anyway, apparently the Madroxes have been holding these geeks in captivity for the entire weekend. And I tell you, time is a strange thing. Maybe time flows differently in Madrox land, and I mean... The way this scene is laid out, it looks as though the noblessers have uh, just been sat on benches while the dupes have their guns trained on them for, like, days now. So that makes for one long-ass weekend, does it not? Anyway, one of the dupes realizes that Jamie Prime has been killed. 
Now, they refer to the real deal as Doc, so I guess none of them have the same academic knowledge, despite being exact copies of the main Jamie. I don't know, maybe it's just an honorific. Um, in any event, they're surprised that Jamie Prime has been killed and that they're still around, having not yet vanished into nothingness. And yeah, we actually did see this last time out. We did see Jamie get shot by Cole. That was our cliffhanger last issue. And I mean, again, with the mutant death as cliffhanger. Uh, I mean, uh, we could talk about stakes and whether or not they actually exist, but uh, we'll just move on. Just then, the captives who I gotta remind you have been sitting on these benches for an entire weekend to this point, they decide to bite down on capsules that they had squirreled away in their cheeks for the entire weekend. Um, Now this causes them to enhance themselves, and I'm guessing it's probably a noblesse pharmaceutical miracle thing. Um, Double page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Penance, Angel, Trinary, Trinary, Multiple Man, Wind Dancer, who I don't think we see at all this issue, Saline, Mastermind, Sarah St. John, the Fenris Twins, and J.P. Cole. Back to comics, and we've got Archangel and Penance fighting the Fenris Twins. Have they been fighting them for the entire weekend? I don't know. Anyway, I think the Fenrises are taken out for a moment, long enough for Warren and Monet to see several Madrox dupes exit an elevator and run right into a few dozen of J.P. Cole's bullets. I'm not sure where these scenes are happening, like, where the characters actually are physically? Uh, is this is this like a super-secret Chuck Austin comic? Because it kind of reads like one. Anyway, girl Fenris kicks herself free from Archangel's grasp. Meanwhile, Monet is bloodlessly slicing and dicing boy Fenris down below. Andrea then comes falling, slamming down to Andreas, which uh, I'm sure would have turned them both on big time if they'd been awake for it. A big thing in this issue is the fact that the Fenris twins are only powerful when they're touching, so we're going to get like a lot of contrived instances of them touching. So anyway, uh, there's uh, then this big explosion on X-Corp's floating island corporate HQ thing. You know what? Maybe Chuck Austin didn't write this. Uh, maybe it was actually Howard Mackey, because this feels very uh, final arc of mutant Xy. <laughs> like, really, really mutant Xy? Wait a minute. Teeny Howard Mackey. Huh. Okay, never mind. Um, back inside, I, I think we're inside, uh, the enhanced noblesses have sort of lost their minds and are now going after everybody, including Sarah St. John. Trinary, Trinary, saves her and they escape into an elevator. Meanwhile, Warren and Monet are attacked by Fenris. Again. Oh, come on. Uh, Andrea calls out X-Corp for their hypocrisy stating that they've all got the same goals, corporate superiority over humans, which I don't know if we're supposed to be, like, agreeing with Fenris, but they're not entirely wrong here. I mean, we shouldn't be sympathizing with them, right? I mean, if so, I mean, what a twist. Anyway, Andrea has a plan here. It's to steal the high-speed internet gimmick from X-Corp. And I mean, is it 2003 already? Hmm. Anyway, we're stealing the broadband stuff, then we're blowing up the whole place. The resurrection protocols come into play, Fenris is hoping to get away with this due to the memory lapses that occur in the interim between their final Cerebro backup and the Resurrection. And if we squint, it kind of makes sense, though it's still not terribly engaging. Monet reminds the twins that she and Warren were among the first to come back that way, referring to their deaths during the Mother Mold mission at the Orcus Forge back during Hoxpox. From here, we shift scenes over to J.P. Cole, who's just been confronted by Celine. Now, Celine makes sure to call out the Fenrises for being Nazis, despite the fact that 
you know, she worked alongside their Nazi-er daddy during the power elite thing, which was not too long ago. Though I guess that virtue ain't gonna signal itself, is it? Cole actually calls her out for being a killer, which might be a reference to all the bad stuff she did over in that Captain America arc before being handed over to Krakoa, which I probably don't need to remind you she has never, you know, faced judgment for, by the way. Uh, Not that I'm complaining, because I really don't need to add a five-part trial of Saline mini to my pull list. Then again, Saline's been a killer for a very long time, so for all I know, all Cole might be referring to that. Cole also reveals that he's a very sick man. He's dying which I suppose is why he's so keen on experimental drugs. Then, Saline goes to suck the life energy out of him. Of course, she is, you know, an energy vampire, only to recoil by what she's actually able to draw from him. She says it's like he's made of poison. Then, a great big chunk of the HQ blows up and falls right between them, which mercifully cuts the scene short. Back inside, the Madrox dupes call into Warren and Monet to get the okay to do something radical. Once given the thumbs up, they all join hands and absorb the Fenris twins' energy, which saves the HQ from getting blowed up real good. So maybe we can look at this as like a reverse Care Bear stare, right? I don't know. Anyway, we go from here to an info page, and it basically spells out what the Madroxes just did, along with some really awful attempts at humor. Back to comics, and Cole believes he's been falling to his death for, like, hours now, and he's swearing vengeance all the while. Only it's just an illusion. You see, Mastermind is making him feel like he's falling when he's really just writhing around like an idiot on the ground in absolutely no danger at all, except for, you know, the the fatal disease that he has inside of him. From here, we jump over to the hatchery, where Madrox Prime emerges from his gold ball. He's met by Layla Miller and their son, what's-his-face. It's worth noting, there ain't nobody in a Cerebro helmet present for this rebirthening. So I don't know who downloaded his memories into him, or... Maybe we're just not supposed to think of that. And also, in fairness, there are only three editors credited here, so we can't expect them to get everything. Now, Warren, Monet, and Trinery, Trinery, they leave Jamie to reconnect with his family. And it's here where Warren decides to give Trinery, Trinery, Jamie's old seat on the board, stating that he never wanted it anyway. Jamie would rather be a lab rat and not an executive. Also, this is to say that he now trusts Trinery, Trinery. From here, we head over to the wrap-up, with Sarah St. John starting up a Skype call or a Zoom meeting with Henry Peter Gyrick of Orcus. So, um, hats off, they somehow found a way to make the Orcus story even more boring. Uh, And they said it couldn't be done, or I said it couldn't be done, or I hoped it couldn't be done. Anyway, we close out with an info page. It's a press release, basically laying out the corporate hierarchy of X-Corp, which we pretty much already knew, but I guess now... It's official. That's where we leave it. Next time out, we return to the uh, the internet for X-Men Green Part 2. So this is the part where we're supposed to talk about X-Corp, this issue and the miniseries, and uh, I really don't want to. I'm, you know, and it's not, it's not a matter of just being angered or disappointed by this series. I just feel like... Um, I don't know, this, I feel like this book has brought out the worst in me as a reviewer. Um, if that is, in fact, what I do in reviewing, I, I feel like I just discuss things. A review is a more technical term saved for people far more qualified than I. I just kind of ramble and talk about uh, my own hot takes here. But that said... You know, I I just don't feel comfortable talking about this book all that much. I considered just uh, 
like grunting at this point Just like <laughs> my whole review portion was just going to be me grunting Just a bunch of uh, mm, huh? But that wouldn't be fair uh, That really wouldn't be fair And it's also a deflection it's, uh, it's cowardly It would just be me trying to deflect from the issue here Which is to say uh, I didn't like this But I don't like the fact that I didn't like it Maybe it's uh, some weird comic Stockholm Syndrome here Where I'm not and still not liking this But uh, and still not respecting it as a story But I, I kind of just uh, sympathize with this story Because while I don't feel like this story Was something that needed to be told And it certainly didn't need its own series If it had to be told I feel like they went about it com- the completely wrong way I think uh, they took a writer who was not prepared to cover this sort of a thing And that's by no fault of anybody Because this is a new sort of uh, concept for a Marvel comic, right? I mean, we're mixing corporations and politics and governments And that's not to say it's never been explored before But I think it's the first time that I've read something like this I'm sure it's probably happened a time or two in Iron Man with Stark Industries But it's the first time that I've actually kind of, you know, hunkered down with this sort of story And it's not a bad idea You know, if uh, we're trying to build this world around the post-Hox-Pox Marvel Universe here, where Krakoa is a global power, and we also have these pharmaceuticals. I mean, we're we're world-building, and I'm a sucker for world-building. So, sure, you know, we have to get these medicines into people's hands, into into government's coffers, all that kind of stuff here. We've got the Marauders doing the, uh, you know, the back alley stuff. Here we have X-Corp doing the the on-the-level stuff, at least relatively speaking, compared to, you know, the black market. So yes, while this wasn't something I feel had to be told, it's something that very well could have been told, but it could have been told better. Um, I feel like the impetus for this story wasn't to tell a story. It was more to editorialize about uh, corporations from a very limited worldview. At least in my opinion, I have no insider knowledge on anybody's uh, creative methodologies or uh, where they draw inspiration from. This is just me... As an outsider, uh, assuming, making a lot of assumptions here I feel like this was supposed to be a commentary on corporations Which, is there a time and place for that in comics? Sure, sure, yeah, I mean, there's a time and place for everything in comics I don't think that any story should be left off the table to be explored So long as, you know, there's a story I think I mentioned this uh, when we covered the latest issue of Excalibur where I kind of like oversimplified my feelings on the thought process that goes into X Corp, which was to say that, um, you know, we say corporations are bad because that's what the media, celebrities, and politicians tell us, despite the fact that the media, politicians, and celebrities are basically all paid and <laughs> owned by corporations. And also the sort of kind of hypocrisy of writing about the evils of corporations while cashing checks written and distributed by Disney. And I mean, I get it. I get having that mindset. Um, You know, we can talk about things like higher education, where it's basically drilled into your head from the moment you step foot into a college that corporations are are bad. I mean, I've been a student for a decade now. You know, I'm I'm working on my third psychology degree right now. And uh, yeah, that's still a prevalent thing in the classroom. I mean, at least anecdotally speaking, that, uh, you know, corporations don't have anybody's best interests at heart. Even though we're all working to get degrees in order to maybe, you know, uh, work in a high-ranking position for one of these uh, heartless companies There's a dissonance there, right? Um, We don't like it, 
but we're kind of beholden to it. So we kind of, we kind of, uh, not so much jeopardize, but we kind of concede. We make a concession there with our values, and we just go with what's easy and available, right? Uh, it's one of those inconvenient truths, right? And I feel like I've kind of gone off the rails here, which I apologize for. I feel like I'm talking just uh, nonsense at this point, but um, I think if you dig beneath all my marble-mouthedness, there might be a point in there somewhere. It's basically just to say... There was a better way the story could have been told. Corporations, whether we like it or not, are kind of a necessary evil. You know, there's not a whole lot we can do about it as a as a people, right? And I think that there's a lot of ambiguous, like morally ambiguous stuff that we can put into a story about corporate warfare. Instead, we decided to put our team of very unlikable characters against literal Nazis. So no shades of gray, even though the Nazis actually made some good points about the hypocrisies of X-Corp. It kind of reminds me of uh, one of the stories during Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams' Hard Travel and Heroes, uh, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff, where... I'm trying to remember, because I conflate these stories a lot, because if you haven't read them, or if it's been a while since you read those Hard Travel and Heroes stories, they're kind of samey. <laughs> they're very samey. It's basically a, a traveling story where they come across some sort of injustice... And they beat that injustice, and it's sometimes it's a tenement owner, sometimes it's a you know a boss who abuses his employees, sometimes it's someone trying to smuggle drugs. It's it's very samey. And while I'm sure back when they initially you know launched back in the 70s, they were a huge deal because they were different from a lot of what you would see on the racks. But nowadays it's it's almost quaint. It's it, there has a charm to it, but it also has a uh, has a quaintness to it as well, which I don't think lands quite as uh, quite as strongly as they would have had we read them back when they you know first were released. But in one of those stories, I think it was the tenement owner, Hal and Ollie are coming up against this guy who's a real jerk, a real dickhead, right? But then it turns out that he's actually an evil alien, which I think takes a whole lot of the oomph out of the story because. What you start with is a tenement owner, who, and I think it's the tenement owner. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But you have a tenement owner who is just a real jerk, and he just doesn't care about uh, human rights. He doesn't care about his uh, his tenants. He's just a jerk, which, I mean, that's kind of a black-and-white story. But at the same time, he's human, so you can explore that. You can actually dig into that, and um, it could be a commentary on how you know, someone doesn't necessarily have to be a an intrinsically bad person to do bad things. You know, to take advantage of a situation, I mean, there's moral ambiguity there. Are you are you evil for taking advantage of a situation that presents itself, or are you engaging in a form of self-preservation? You know, there is ambiguity there. We don't know the story of any human who does something bad. Someone who may not be a bad person, but does something bad. There could be a reason for that. I mean, we can get into the whole, is it wrong to steal a loaf of bread to feed your family sort of scenario. But we won't. (laughs) We won't. But uh, you had this story where there's a tenement owner just, just not caring about his tenants, just being a real jerk. Then we find out he's actually an evil alien, which takes all the wind out of my sails because it's like, okay, instead of actually dealing with human folly and, uh, you know, human depth, it's like, no, 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 this guy was just an evil alien all along. 
Here in X-Corp, I'm taking the scenic route to get here, but here in X-Corp, we have these two corporations. Corporations we've already established, morally ambiguous. You know, they do what's best for the corporation, don't really care about the people. Necessary evil in the world we live in, unfortunately, at least right now. So you have these corporations acting in their own best interests. So rather than have us on steady ground where, you know, different corporations can make different points, we have our group, who, again, are very unlikable, against literal Nazis. And that draws a very, very solid line in the sand in as far as uh, who we're supposed to be rooting for in this situation. I mean, do we call that God-winning? Because it kind of ends the discussion of any sort of uh, who's right and who's wrong sort of thing, while also giving our writer plenty of opportunities to talk about how bad Nazis are, despite the fact that Celine is one of our focus characters here, and not too long ago she worked with the Nazis in this book's even Nazier father. It just doesn't feel sincere. Maybe is that the word? Um, you know, I did talk about uh, Howard's work on Excalibur. And while that's not my cup of tea, and I mean, I've been clear about that from the get-go, I do feel like there's more of an intrinsic passion from her onto uh, the fantastical stories and the just the fantasy realms that Exc- Excalibur explores. This book just came off as petulant and angry, perhaps just as petulant as this show you're listening to right now when I try to discuss this book. I don't know. I don't know. I think, uh, I think I've run out of things to say here. I think I've talked myself into circles. Uh, I think my eyeballs are literally spinning <laughs> in the sockets right now. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't like this. I wish I did. I don't think it was a bad idea for a story. I just think the execution wasn't there. I don't know how much of that we can lay at creatives' uh, feet because, you know, this is one of those books where when it was launched, it was launched as a five-parter, right? That was the first solicits we saw, a five-part miniseries. Then it was released without any sort of indication that it was a miniseries. And then when it hit the fifth issue, it stopped. So I don't know if this is a case of, like, Marvel hedging their bets and uh, maybe uh, potentially having it as an ongoing and then realizing that... uh, the straw that stirs the drink and Jonathan Hickman was going to be leaving his position as head of X and then having to kind of move things on the fly and change things up. So maybe it was a victim of that. Maybe this story was originally meant to be told with a more organic and natural feeling build. If that's the case, I mean, a writer can only do the best they can with what they're given. Unfortunately, there are just editorial realities out there that a writer just simply does not have control over. And so they do the best they can. So maybe that's the case here. Uh, when they when they solicited the first trade, or the trade, I should say, of X-Corp, it did get a volume one on it, which tells me that maybe there were plans, at least preliminary plans, for this to continue past issue five. But really and truly, if we think about this as, you know, this series basically being there to put Sarah St. John into the Orcus milieu, then... Uh, I don't think the destination was quite worth the journey. Um, you know, I've been saying since we started this uh, this series that this could have been a great eight-page serial in an X-Men Unlimited. That wasn't what they went with. It could have been an interesting one-shot that didn't overstay its welcome, got us from point A to point B, established what these characters were going to be doing, putting together our CXO corporate hierarchy in X-Corp, and also introducing this uh, new Orcus member while also not having quite so many pages to make sure all of our characters are wholly unlikable, 
I think it could have worked better there. Then again, I'm only speaking as an idiot fan and not someone who is up the uh, up the chain at Marvel with uh, count, having to count beans and having to put ducks in rows and think inside and outside of boxes. I, I don't know what they do there. So uh, I can only speak for myself as, you know, an idiot fan. But I think I've probably gone on probably way too long <laughs> on this, so I will... Uh, I will leave it there. Uh, I will leave it there, and we will move on. Uh, we don't have any mailbag today, which uh, I guess is just as well, because my uh, my voice is kind of gone at this point. But I do want to do some shout-outs here. These are the wonderful folks who engaged with the social media posts for recent episodes and helped to raise the profile of this little program. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Walt Nealon, Joe Crawford, Chris Bailey, Jeremiah, Dave Schultz, 21st Century Boys, Ed Moore, Billy D, Jacob Jones, and the Scary Stuff Podcast. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Chris Bailey, Jeremiah, Pat Sampson, Walt Nealon, and Billy D. Thank you all so much for sharing the show, and hopefully we'll get some new ears. Just hopefully this isn't the first episode they listen to, because, boy, this episode was kind of a mess, wasn't it? Oof. It's not often that I'm uh, <laughs> this insecure about putting out a show, but uh, this one, this one's a toughie. Um, anyway, from here, I would like to thank the wonderful Patreons over, uh, patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed for all their support and for believing in this little project. I'd like to thank Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Needland, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, and Mark Jagger. I can't adequately put into words what your support means to me, so thank you all so much. But I think that's going to do it for today. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, tell me how wrong I am for not digging X-Corp, I invite you to write into me. Please, write into me for a discussion rather than try to trash my show on a review aggregate. It would mean a lot to me if you'd reach out. Uh, you can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts, show notes, and somewhere else you can leave comments, it's chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. That's uh, been my digital home for near on six years now. Every single day there's a new post there to be uh, enjoyed or ignored. So there's that. Uh, you can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men, but we talk about whatever you want there. So uh, feel free to join up. Look forward to seeing you there, if Facebook is uh, a thing that you do. Also, for the complete audio archives, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com or find us anywhere on any app that aggregates noise and sound on the Internet. So uh, it's on all your devices and applications and gimmicks and whatevers. Finally, of course, there is the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed, where there's a bunch of exclusive and first-run content, and uh, we're still in the learning stages of populating exclusive content. So if there's anything that uh, you'd like to see or you think would improve the uh, experience, I'm all ears. Please let me know at any of the places that you can contact me, including on the Patreon itself. But I think that's going to do it for us today. I do want to apologize for what a downer this episode might have been, and also thank you for enduring it with me. It really does mean a lot, so thank you, and I'm sorry. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.